0: Well, morning, good everyone. morning, everyone. Good morning, New Life family. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. All right. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. I'm Eric Cabrera. This is my wonderful wife, Diane Cabrera. Once thank again, it always been such a pleasure and an honor to welcome everybody to another Sunday service here at New Life. I just want to say welcome to everybody watching out in the patio. Beautiful weather. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, the sun stopped being shy, right? I'm and so hello happy. to everybody watching online as well. Um, I see a few. I know that there's a few guests from out of town visiting for the for, for today for the weekend. So welcome as well. And if you're new here, if it's your first time here, to new life, we we just want to say welcome to you, and we'd love to get to know you better. So I encourage you after service to please stop by one of our connection central booths. We have one at each side of the lobby, and also one out in the patio as well. And we even have a gift for you
1: yes and um good morning again and if you notice as you drove on campus and as you walked into the sanctuary lots of interesting things so this is yeah there's a scuba diver ahead of us uh, above us um this is for the main event so this is starting tomorrow and there will be over 500 kids on campus with a ton of volunteers yes okay Um, And so we want to make sure if if you're not able to volunteer, that's okay because well I'm gonna stop there. If you're not able to volunteer, that's okay, but you can volunteer in prayer Okay, so pray for all of the kids and all of the volunteers And hey, if you didn't know main event was happening, but you do want to volunteer I'm sure you could call the office and they can find a spot for you. Okay, and also the kids are going to be learning basically how much god loves them and all different types of fun activities it'll be a ton of fun yeah it's
0: so important and also they get to learn about how god has a plan for their lives amen despite setbacks and the shipwrecks that come that may come their way they get to learn about how god still wants to use so. them no matter what i know we have all been through that. And we all understand that right one thing i learned is that it's sometimes when things seem like they're falling apart they're really falling into place amen? so if you're able please stand and tell the person next to you i might be i may be shipwrecked but i'm not sunk
2: being, our vision. Lord, help us to see you even in the darkest moments of our lives, Lord, and help us to cling to what is true, what is lovely, what is pure, God. Thank you for the peace that your voice and that your presence bring, Lord. Oh, how we can testify to it, Lord. God, we just thank you for this moment of, of worship through music. God, you continue to disciple us in these next moments, Lord. Thank you, Father. Church, let's just meditate on discipleship for a moment. Think about all the ways in which we can be discipled. And I would invite you right now just to to acknowledge that we can be discipled through these songs in the same way that scripture disciples us. I was thinking about that song. I was growing up singing it all the time. God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways and step by step, you lead me I will follow you all of my days. That's been my refrain throughout the summer and we're gonna sing that for a moment, but where do those words come from? They come from King David in the scriptures and the Psalms. There are countless Psalms where he just cries out, God, you are my God. I will ever praise you in a time when so many other kingdoms and rulers acknowledged other gods as their leaders and other gods as controllers of what was going on in the world of chaos and of peace and of the times of wealth and prosperity for their benefit. But King David said, I'm going to cut through all of that nonsense and I'm going to worship you even though my enemies are rejoicing over me even though other kingdoms are thriving lord and we might be struggling in this moment you are still on the throne you are still worthy of my praise and i will praise you forever i will seek you every morning because every morning is new and i want to learn to walk in your ways In other words, let your heritage become my heritage. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. I want to be more like you because I know that step by step, even though I can't see it, you will lead me. I will respond and follow you all of my days. So we just want to be discipled by this song, by these prayers, by these scriptures. In this moment, I just encourage you to take a posture of worship, whatever it looks like. In these next moments, if you want to kneel at your seat, if you want to sit down. If you want to stand with your hands raised. Just worship your God in spirit and truth. Like King David. Declaring that he is indeed Lord. He is indeed
3: God. He is indeed on the throne. your name is the highest your name is the greatest your name
2: Praise, and we just ask that as we continue in our time of worship, Lord, we would put you first, laying everything else to the side as you disciple us, speak to our hearts, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
4: Good morning. As you are taking your seats, I'm going to invite the ushers forward to receive the offering this morning. I love that we are part of a very generous church and that has never been so obvious to me as it has been this summer. Um, I got to go to Hume and be a counselor for some of our high schoolers and there are kids that got to go to camp because of your generosity. We're able to offer some scholarships for that. Also this week, there have been, I don't even know how many volunteers up here. Some people have been up here volunteering every single day This week, getting ready for main event. So we're very generous with our time. Um, There are kids coming to main event next week on scholarships for that as well. So I am just very blown away that we get to partner with God with our finances, with our time, with our talents. So thank you for being a part of that and joining with us. And having an attitude of um, generosity and giving is something that can be fostered at a very early age. So as for the past at least... Five main events. I think this is the fifth one, maybe longer. We have been partnering with our pantry, so we encourage the kids to get involved. So the kids are going to be bringing breakfast items and different things this week to the surf shack. So it used to be the church library. You should take a look at it before you leave because it's decorated very cool. Again, volunteers and staff up here all day, every day this week getting ready. So go look at that. But kids are going to be bringing stuff for that, and we encourage you guys to. uh, Partner with us in that too. You can come by any afternoon this week. You can come in the morning, but there's a little bit of chaos on campus this morning in case you haven't heard. So I would maybe come in the afternoon if you want to drop some stuff off to donate to that as well and help them reach their goals. Um, So thank you for being a part of that and just continue to pray for main event this week. It is a big production. There are lots of powerful things that are happening. um, So it's going to be a great week. Another thing coming up is we are going to be having baptisms in August. Um, so one of the things, I'll come back to movie night. Sorry, I skipped. Um, I One of the things I love about baptisms is it's a choice that you've already made, and you're just getting to show it to everyone. Um, so one of the things I like, I found this morning in Acts 22, verse 16, and I love the way it's phrased in the message translation Um, So this is right after Saul, who will become Paul very shortly, um, has been persecuting Christians and he has this amazing encounter with Jesus and he was blinded for a bit and then received his sight back. So then um, Ananias is telling him, so what are you waiting for? Get up and get yourself baptized, scrubbed clean of those sins, and personally acquainted with God. So when you give your life to Jesus in baptism, that's what you're doing. You're saying you want that personal relationship, and you're being um, cleansed of your sins. So if you want to join us at Beach Baptisms, that is happening in August, August 13th. You can come find somebody at a connection counter. We can help get you signed up. There's also going to be a baptism meeting the Sunday before, so August 6th, in between services, if you want to learn a little bit more about that. But we would love to have you and celebrate with you, and it'll be a big party on the beach. Okay, so the slide I skipped, my bad. Um, going back to that, is we have a family movie night, not this Monday, but the following Monday, July 24th. So it's for elementary families. Um, we just want you to have a time of connection, see who the other families are at our church. So see, you can your kids can meet the other kids, parents can meet the other parents. Um, but you can start coming at 5.30. The movie will start at 6. And um, it's going to be on the patio, weather permitting. And we'll have light snacks, but you can bring your own dinner, come in pajamas, and just come hang out with us and have a good time. Okay. I think I hit everything out of order, but I did it. So if you prepare your hearts for the message today,
5: stories are the language of the soul. They have a way of penetrating the heart in a way few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus' way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is, and what he calls us to be a part of, and how much he loves us.
6: Well, good morning, New Life. So good to be here. And uh, hey, as you find your way um, to the book of Luke this morning, go ahead and find your way to the book of Luke. Luke is in the New Testament. For the second half of the Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 25 here in just a moment. And as you're finding your way there, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you know, during summertime, it is good for our team and our and our staff um, and our leaders to be able to have some time for vacation. It's also a time where for myself, if you're new to New Life, you may not know that I serve as a reserve chaplain with the United States Air Force. And so there's some commitments that I have there. We always, um, and we believe strongly, Strongly in what we call our teaching team, and uh, can we just um, celebrate what God did through Pastor Gina last week? I heard some amazing <laughs> testimonies coming out of that, and uh, so grateful for the incredible pastors and teachers and preachers that we had the privilege of being on our team. Um, and, and what I love about that is um, there's something that we we intentionally kind of push back against uh, that. We sometimes see in kind of the evangelical Christian world in America, and that is the celebrity pastor. Now, I never have any um, concerns about me becoming a celebrity. Uh, I'm just, that's not my personality. Uh, that's not, you know, I, I just don't have that it factor, right? Like, you know, I'm like, it's all the Lord. I, I just look at it. But I do recognize that what we what it, um, is important is that we have a team of preachers and a team of people who speak into the life of the church. And when we we do that, we represent the body of Christ in greater ways. We allow people to use their giftedness. And so one of the cool things about the summer is that we get to increase the various voices that you um, get to hear from. And so you heard from Pastor Gina, you've heard from Pastor Phil this summer, you're going to hear from Pastor Dave Vasquez in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear from um, from uh, Pastor Jared and, and Elena and, and all kinds of various people who are going to be speaking into the life of our congregation. And we're so Privileged to be able to have that happen. And so when you come, um, I want you to come ready, uh, whether it's wh- whoever is preaching, ready not to hear from the person, but to hear from the Lord. Because we are simply just a conduit. The Lord has, I always, you know, our team, um, and they'll tell you, we want the Lord to do something in us before we bring that message. And so the Lord has already been speaking to us before we ever come and preach a particular message. And so we just want to encourage you to come ready. Hopefully you've already not only got your scripture open, but if you are a handwritten note taker, go ahead and take out your notes. If you're a phone note taker, go ahead and take out your phone so that you can listen into what the Lord has for you you. Um, Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we're going to be diving in here. You're going to, some of you are like, oh, I know where this is going. I've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. How many people have at some point read or, or heard loosely the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Go ahead and raise your hand right now. Yeah, most of us have. But here's the deal. Many of us, how many people heard this? We're doing main event this week, which is our church's version of VBS, and we're so stoked for it. How many people heard the story of the Good Samaritan as a child, either in Sunday school or main event or something like that? All right, now we're really gonna show our age. How many people heard that story and it was portrayed to you on a flannel graph? Yeah, we got some flannel graph lovers around here. That's awesome, that's awesome. Now, here's the challenge for us as we read through this particular parable is that most of us, when we were taught this story, and when we were taught this story on that flannel graph, our sole focus was on the Good Samaritan. And so the goal was for us to identify with the Good Samaritan. And so that's where our focus tends to be. What I wanna challenge you Today is to not fall into the trap of what you've heard us say before, which is the Disney princess mindset. Everybody wants to be the Disney princess. Nobody wants to be Ursula. (laughs) Turn to somebody near you and say, sometimes you're Ursula. So this is what we have to be careful of, right? Because we want to read the story and we're like, oh yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be kind to others. I'm supposed to be compassionate. I'm supposed to be loving. And we never allow ourselves to, um, and a lot more specifically, we never allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and say, when am I being Ursula? When am I being the lawyer? When am I being the priest? When am I being the Levite? When am I being the person who doesn't get it all right and Lord... How can you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, convict me? How, through the power of your Holy Spirit, can you correct me? How, through your, uh, the power of your Holy Spirit, can you lead me to, repent- to repentance? Because the repent- repentance is a gift from the Lord. It's a turning from our ways to, it's his kindness being shown to us because he wants to draw us into deeper relationship with him. So, maybe a very first um, person that you want to kind of check yourself with is, are you The lawyer? And his lawyer comes along, or the expert in religious law comes along, and it says that he wants to test. Jesus, and so you need to know if you're not aware is that there is a contentious relationship that Jesus has with religious leaders, and specifically with religious leaders of the law. In Luke chapter seven, just a little bit earlier, towards the um, following the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is Jesus is speaking um, to these individuals, and they're having debate about who Jesus is and who John the Baptist is. And it says the tax collectors, which are Completely despise individuals. Tax collectors have never been good people, right? No, no, I mean like you know, like nobody likes them, right? Sorry, CPAs and people, I'm, I, but you know that in the Bible specifically, they are not kind people. And yet, the tax collectors in chapter seven it says acknowledge God's purpose for themselves, and it says that the religious leaders. The spiritually elite of the day, the Pharisees, the, the religious lawyers, reject God's purposes for them. And so there's this contentious relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of the law. Later on in Luke chapter 11, it says that Jesus goes through these woes when he's kind of calling these individuals out and he said, Hey, you did. Jesus was not good at the compliment, like the compliment sandwich, right? You've had somebody do that before where they give you something kind, they critique you, and they try to get... No, Jesus just said, hey, you're doing this wrong. Woe is to you. It's a gut punch. And at the end of him uh, kind of saying this, one of the religious lawyers gets up and says, Jesus, why are you insulting us? He didn't hear a single word that Jesus said. He was worried about being offended. And so automatically when when Luke presents this story... And he says this religious lawyer, this religious leader steps up and asks this question to test Jesus. We need to recognize that there's already tension mounting between this particular group and Jesus. And that word test is actually an an, an important word for Luke in the telling of the gospel of Jesus Christ because over eight times Luke will use this word test. And almost every single time that he utilizes it, it's utilized with somebody who is misunderstood understanding Jesus' teaching or wants to push back against Jesus' teaching. In fact, in some ways, Luke wants you to connect this word test with what happens earlier on in the book of Luke when Jesus is driven and compelled to go to the desert by the Holy Spirit and it says that the enemy or Satan comes along and tempts him or tests him. And so when you hear this word test in the book of Luke, basically Luke is reminding you that these are people who are pushing back against God, his plans, his purposes, and what God is doing among us. And so we hear these words. There's a lawyer or, or an expert in religious law who stood up to test Jesus. And he asked him this question. Teacher. Again, another key word. For the book of, for the book of Luke, when you see the word teacher, when you see the word teacher, it's somebody who is also misunderstanding Jesus. The word that Luke wants you to identify with as one who is going to follow Jesus is not the word teacher, it's not the word rabbi because Jesus wasn't just a rabbi, he wasn't just a teacher and he wasn't just a prophet, he is the son of God. And in fact, the word that Luke wants you to identify in terms of your relationship with Jesus is the word Kyrios or Lord. And so when you hear people call Jesus teacher, it usually means that they have an agenda, that they're trying to like push on to Jesus or they have a misunderstanding with Jesus. And this religious lawyer says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do?" In the original language, the word do there is a one-time action. So think of it this way. What is the one thing that I need to add to my checklist to do in order to inherit eternal life? And again, it's easy for some of us to say, man, he's just trying to figure out how to play the game. But the question comes back to us and says, how many times is that the way that I think? What must I do, God, to inherit eternal life? What's the one thing that I need to add to my checklist? What is the thing that I need to check the box in? What is the one thing, one time that I can do to make everything else easy and so that I inherit eternal life? What is that thing? It's a single, limited action that's going to be important for how Jesus responds later. And how do I inherit eternal life? This expert in religious law is looking at eternal life as a commodity. Something to buy. Something that I can do X and you're going to give me Y. Something to consume. Something based on my action rather than it being a gift. Freely given. Something that we cannot earn. Something that we cannot buy. Something that we cannot simply check the box and say we're going to receive. While he's thinking of things in terms of a single action. That he can perform in order to be righteous. In order to inherit eternal life. And Jesus is thinking about a life of righteousness. Verse 26, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's two things that this individual is quoting at this particular juncture. First thing that he's quoting is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a familiar prayer that's prayed several times a day called the Shema. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second thing, see, some people uh, assume that to love your neighbor as yourself is a new type of teaching for these individuals, but it actually isn't. It's actually found in the book of Leviticus. It's very um, important for the Jewish people to love their neighbor as themselves. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, uh, verses 11 through 18, it reminds us of what it looks like to love our neighbor. It says, do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat uh, cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the devil. Or cause the blind to stumble You must fear your God, I am the Lord Do not twist justice in the legal matters um, By favoring the poor Or being partial to the rich and powerful Always judge people fairly Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people Do not stand idly by while um, When your neighbor's life Is threatened, I am the Lord Do not nurse hatred in your heart Of any of your relatives, confront people Directly so you will not be held Guilty for their sin, do not seek Revenge or bear grudge against the Fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is not new teaching. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what you need to know is there's a debate going on with the two major rabbinic schools and teachings of Jesus' day. There's Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Shammai is really fixated on following it to the strictest sense every single law in the Torah, Rabbi Hillel is really fixated on this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. And so while one is, hey, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, that's Rabbi Shammai, Rabbi Hillel is teaching love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus, in having this conversation, not only identifies with Rabbi Hillel, but he also affirms that teaching with this particular religious expert. Because he says this in verse 28. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Now, remember how I said that when he said, what is the one thing I must do? And that was a single action. It's interesting that in the original language, when Jesus says, do this, it's not a single action. It's an ongoing action. Live like this. Live into righteousness. Get up every day and live into what it means to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Live now this way. See, many of us grew up in traditions that said, hey, you know what? Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life. Receive his forgiveness of his sins. And one day when I get to heaven, then that is when I'll actually start to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, Live now. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, but the lawyer isn't done. Lawyers are never done, are they? <laughs> Verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Justify. Think of it this way. The man trying to make himself look good. The man trying to make sure that he elevated his reputation. The man trying to justify says, and who is my neighbor? Not, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> that would be a whole different conversation. He asks them, who is my neighbor? Neighbor, Now, again, neighbor, according to the passage that we just read from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, says that your neighbor is your fellow Israelite. Your neighbor is your fellow Israelite. Now, the Torah doesn't stop there, actually, because if you go on and you find yourself uh, moving on to verses 33 through 34, it says not only is your fellow Israelite your neighbor... But the alien who comes into your country is also supposed to be treated as a neighbor. And as I'm reading this, and this is where I think we need to, like, again, put the mirror up and say, okay, where do I have this religious expert lawyer's tendencies is our constant temptation for, to look for the minimal, bare minimum requirements when it comes to our relationship with God. Where do we find ourselves going? How much sin can I sin before sin's going to really affect me? How close to the world can I get and still be in relationship with God? How much do I actually have to forgive so the Lord will forgive me? How much do I actually have to love? How far does that love have to go? What must I do? What must I do? Instead of Jesus teach me how to live. Think about the two those two different questions. Jesus, what must I do? versus Lord, teach me how to live. One is looking for the one thing that we can do to somehow be in right relationship with God. The other one is saying, Lord, you know all things and you know this world and you know who I am and you know my struggles and you know everything, God. And God, would you teach me how to live? And Jesus, knowing that stories are powerful, doesn't just simply give an explanation to who this person's neighbor is. He tells a story. That's an actual challenging story. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, says this. Jesus replied with a story a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits they stripped him of his clothes beat him up and left him half dead on the side of the road now you need to know Jerusalem to Jericho it's about 18 miles it is often it was often referred to during that particular day as the way of the blood because there was so much thievery that happened on this particular road so again if you're somebody standing here listening to the story like oh yeah that's that's normal That's not surprising. Somebody going that way, going that route, they're probably going to get robbed. They're probably going to get beat up. Hey, it was kind of his fault. You shouldn't have gone that way in the first place. Right? That's what the crowd is thinking at this particular moment. Verse 31. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Now, this is where when you would hear this story being told on a flannel graph that the people would say, boo, let's boo the people, right? <laughs> like you get the kids all riled up, yeah, don't be the priest, don't, that's not you, that's not you, that's not you. No, that's, that's us. Because before you are too critical on these two individuals about why they passed on the other side of the road, again, let's understand their context a little bit. These individuals, specifically the priest who passes on the other side of the road, was it was most likely adhering to Levitical law that said, hey, be careful, Uh, don't come in contact with any dead bodies or even half-dead bodies, because if you do, you will defile yourself for seven days. And so there's this individual saying, hey, hold on a second, how do I live in this tension? There's somebody that's here, he's probably already dead anyway, so I don't really want to get involved, And, and if I do, then I'm not able to do my role for seven days at least. Not only that, but if you touch that, that person, you also are probably carrying the food for ritual rites and sacrifices. And not only will you defile yourself, but you will defile all the food and all the sacrifices that you have with you. The Levite who sees this uh, priest uh, pass on the other side of the road understands that he's also involved in an honor and shame culture. And within this honor and shame culture, if the person who is over you does something and you try to do something different, you will cause that person to have shame heaped upon them. And so there's this cultural undertone that I would never do anything that would shame the person who is over me. And then, if that wasn't enough, in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, as from the word of God, these regulations and rituals are being spoken. It says, you must keep all my decrees and regulations by putting them into practice. Otherwise the land to which I am bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. Do not live according to the customs of the people I am driving out before you. It is because they do these shameful things that I detest them, but I have promised you, you will possess their land because I give it to you as your possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from all other people. So you have this Levite and this priest who are trying to keep the regulations and rules. And, and... And laws of God, so that they might be able to usher in the Israelites to uh, uh, to the Promised Land. And, and so they see this individual, and they don't want to um, kind of say, "Hey, God, you know what? I know that you said this, but I, I you know, I'm going to do this anyway." I wonder how many times we live in that tension. Yes, what they did was wrong. But what if in their mind, they were looking at the situation and say, this is just too costly. I'm not absolving them. I'm asking us, how many times do we look at somebody and say, yeah, I could love that person, I could care for that person, I could have compassion on that person, but it might be too costly, too costly for my reputation, too costly for my position, too costly because of what other people will say about it. It might just be too costly, and quite honestly, I'm not even sure how to love this person and still honor God. See, I think we like things to be really cut and dry. And I think we like like things to be like, hey, you, you do this or you do this. But all of a sudden, Jesus tells a story and we find ourselves living in tension between honoring God as a holy God and recognizing that he has called us to be a holy people and yet radically loving people who may not look like us and act like us and believe like us. And it's way easier to enter into a conversation in our own hearts and minds and say, God, I'm not sure what to do in this particular situation. I'm not sure. So it's just easier to pass on the other side of the road. It's too costly. It's just too costly. In the minds of the crowd that was gathered there, A priest came, a Levite came, their expectation is that the next person would be somebody of the laity who would come. That's how the story is supposed to be told. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time that I am here. Again, when you think of Good Samaritan, you think of something really good. How many people have ever seen a Samaritan hospital? Raise your hand. Anybody ever seen a Samaritan hospital? Yeah. How many people have ever participated in um, Samaritan's Purse during Christmas time? Raise your hand. Yeah. So, like, when we hear their name Samaritan we 're like, "Oh, that's a really good thing, and the problem with that is we miss what Jesus is trying to communicate in this particular story. we don 't find ourselves identifying with the crowd. We have this different cultural understanding of what it means to be a good Samaritan and so you need to understand that there's this long standing tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. It really came down to the fact that when uh, that you had uh, a group of Jews that were taken over by the Assyrians. And when they were taken over by the Assyrians, they began to intermarry. And that's who the the Samaritans came from as a combination of Jewish people and Assyrians uh, intermarrying with one another and having children. And so these children were viewed as not only Samaritans, but they literally called them half-breeds. Then you have this other segment of Judaism that the Babylonians came in several years later and they overtook them and they held their ground and did not intermarry. They um, leaned into what God had called them to do and they did not intermarry. And so there was a purity about them. And so the Samaritans looked at the Jewish people as people who were uh, cruel and racist. And the Jewish people looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. And they wanted nothing to do with one another. And here you have a Samaritan. Not only put this, individual, bandaged the wounds. Not only put this person on the donkey. But continues on the road to Jericho. Essentially putting his neck on the line. As a Samaritan who would walk into a Jewish city. You know what the very first thing someone's gonna think when you show up with a bloodied person on your donkey? What did you do to that person? We're gonna do the same thing to you. Verse 36. Now which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Again, go and do, go and live this out. Go and figure this out. Now, as we're reading this passage there's there's kind of three things that I want us to kind of focus in or hone in on and the f- first one is this that one of the things that this particular parable is teaching is that we should love our people right love our people I I don't think sometimes that when we talk about this particular parable that we start there, but the reality is is that people in the crowd and even this individual who says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the starting point for this conversation is that we would love our people well. What do I mean by loving our people well? That the body of Christ would love each other well. In fact, Jesus later on says, you will be known as my disciples By how you love one another that we would find ourselves loving our neighbor our fellow believers in Christ well our families well the people that are connected to us well here's the challenge church I'm not sure that we do that well I think we exhaust a ton of energy not loving each other well I think we, we we have a ton of energy expended on gossiping about each other. I think that we have a ton of energy expended on, on pointing fingers at one another. I think we have a ton of energy expended on all these things internal. Well, that person doesn't think like me, and that person doesn't vote like me, and that person said this on social media, and that person's gossiping about me. And now, now think about it. If we're spending that much tension trying to figure out how to love one another, how are we ever going to love people who don't think like us and act like us and believe like us. I think we're weary. I think we're exhausted of just trying to figure out how to love each other. And yet that's the beginning point of what Jesus wants us to live into as this reality of how to love others. So, let me ask you this question. At the end of each one of these portions, when it comes to loving your people, when do you cross on the other side of the road? How easy is it for you to cross on the other side of the road? See, there's something that I believe about marriages, but I also believe it about friendships, and I also believe it about the church, there is no perfect marriage, there is no perfect friendship. there is no perfect church. We're not striving for perfection, this side of glory. What we are striving for is a culture, an environment of reconciliation, of redemption, of restoration. We will hurt each other. We will say things that we wish we could take back. But the question becomes, how will we reconcile with one another? Or will we simply just cross to the other side of the road? How well do you love your people? The second one is this, the second portion is this that we would go out of our way to love other people. Because, again, it would be really easy just to stay in our own circle, in our own place. But but the question becomes, how do we, as the people of God, go out of our way to love others who don't think like us and don't believe like us and don't act like us and live different lifestyles than us? How do we go out of our way to love others? People. There was a study done in 2019, and when individuals all across the United States were asked, when you think about a Christian, what, do, what comes to your mind? These are people who weren't believers, but when you think about a Christian, what comes to your mind? And these are the top three answers that came to mind. They are too political, they're judgmental, and they're anti lgbtq Those are the three things that came to people's mind who were people who aren't believers when they were asked, what do they believe about Christians? Now, there is a whole lot of uh, conversation and nuance around those three answers that we could get into and we could talk about and all those types of things. But let me ask you this. In a culture that is redefining the idea of love as being simply just an intellectual affirmation to somebody else's beliefs, as a, in a culture where people are saying, love is really about a feeling, what if we as the church, rather than trying to spend an exhaustive amount of time trying to figure out what our arguments are against other people, we, we were so radically Active in our loving of other people that it confused them. What I mean by that is, what if people understood, hey, I may not agree with you, but there's a disconnect here because you don't agree with me, and yet you are acting in such a loving way to me? That would confuse people. They'd be like, that doesn't make sense to me. Tell me more. How does this even work? The whole golden rule actually comes from another philosophy outside of the Christian tradition that simply said this, don't harm others. Church, I think sometimes we have taken more of that side of things. How do I just keep people at a distance and I just don't want to cause waves and I just don't want to harm others? Love in Scripture is never an intellectual exercise. Love in Scripture is never about, do I feel like loving this person right now? Love in Scripture is always action. That's why Jesus says, love others as you want to be loved. Actively love others. As you want to be love. And here's what goes on in our minds right now. What if people think I'm affirming them if I love them? What if people think that I'm agreeing with them if I love them? What if and all the what ifs go in our minds. And so what we do is rather than loving them, we walk to the other side of the road. Because that's just safer. I don't have to think through anything. It's just easier just to avoid it and not get messy. What what if people what if people think that somehow I'm friends with that person? It's just easier to walk to the other side of the road. It's messy. It's messy. But the final the final area that Jesus is trying to get our attention with is even the most challenging and go out of your way to love your enemies. See, again, when you hear Good Samaritan, you're like, oh, those are those nice people that deliver boxes of Christmas presents all over the world. But if I rewrote this story, and every generation has... During the Civil War, they would have heard the good Northerner or the good Southerner. In Russia, they would have heard the good Marxists. In Germany, they would have heard the good Nazi. How does that shake you? Because that's exactly what this crowd would have heard. There is absolutely no way. That, that's not even a concept. You can't have a good Nazi. You can't have a good Samaritan. That doesn't make sense. That's how rocking this was to the individuals who would have been there gathered around Jesus. And so Jesus is, within this story, challenging people to love your enemies, not just the people that look like you and act like you and believe like you, and not just the people who are a little bit outside of your circle, but your enemies, how do you love that person? How do you love the North Korean? How do you love the gossiper? How do you love the one that you can't even say their name? Did you notice that? Like when I, when when you're thinking right now of the person that you can't even mutter their name, the one who had Mercy. I mean, can you just hear him? He can't even say the Samaritan's name. The one who had mercy on him. How do we love the ones who have hurt us and stepped on us and abused us and talked bad about us How do we love the ones that have gossiped about us and defamed our names? How do we love them? Because I don't know about you, but it's so much easier just to walk to the other side of the road. It's so much easier just to walk to the other side of the road. And then I think about the cross. And I go, oh, that's, that's the challenge. Because that's what it looks like. It looks like to be falsely accused. And it looks like to be stripped naked. And it looks like to be beaten. And it looks like to be forced to carry a cross up a hill it looks like to have our hands and our feet nailed to a cross. And it looks like to be mocked and persecuted for no reason whatsoever. And it looks like being called a bigot. And it looks like not being able to take a breath because you're can't find a comfortable position. And it looks like all of that And all that pain and all that suffering, that's what it looks like to love your enemy and then utter these words forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, it's so much easier to go to the other side of the road than to walk with Jesus the road of Calvary. It is so much easier to walk to the other side of the road than to ask who is my neighbor how far reaching does it have God can it just stop with my people can it just stop with the people who look just a little bit differently or act just a little bit different? God does I have to go all the way to my enemy to people who persecute me the people who under don't understand me who have hurt me does it have to go all the way to that go and do likewise that's his answer and it's messy and I don't fully understand it but that's why we listen into the Holy Spirit in every situation and we ask the Holy Spirit God would you help me to think like with your thoughts and would you give me words because I don't have words right now for this person and would you order my steps and even then It is incredibly difficult. And so Jesus knowing this at a table where he would be betrayed by someone who said he was his friend, his disciple gave us the Lord's Supper to remind us both of what our journey looks like but of what We need to be dependent on in terms of his life, death, and resurrection. Because without it, it is impossible to love one another. And it is impossible to love those who are just a little bit, go out of our way to love those who are just a little bit different than us. And it is impossible to go out of our way to love our enemies. So I invite our servers that are going to be helping us to come forward and I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as you do this. And I want you to ask yourself this question God, is there anything I need to repent of where I've crossed to the other side of the road? Is there a correction that needs to happen in my life? And then forgive me, God. Forgive me for crossing to the other side of the road because it's too difficult. Forgive me for crossing to the other side of the road because I don't want to deal with the messiness. Forgive me for crossing to the other side of the road because I don't want to seek your voice and your mindfulness in this particular situation. Forgive me, God. Teach me the way of the cross. Teach me to walk this journey. Fill me with your love as I receive these elements. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to come forward, moving from front to back at this time. You'll leave from your left. Come, receive the elements, return to your right. As you do that, hang on to your elements because we're going to partake of these elements all together once everybody has been served. seems fitting that the passage begins on the night that Jesus would be betrayed. He taught us how to love. He took the bread and said, this is my body which will be broken for you. He didn't cross to the other side of the road. He said, this is my body which will be broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. operates the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant that will be made through my shed blood. He didn't cross to the other side of the road. Take and drink in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. His sacrifice, His way, His love until He comes again. Gracious Heavenly Father, may this not just be an exercise in consumption and consuming elements, but as we receive these elements, may we be reminded to be grounded in your life, death, and resurrection. And from that posture, may your love flow from us to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As you leave today, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And may you do the messy sacrificial, painful, only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit work of loving your neighbor as yourself. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.